Hey, all you out there in podcast land, welcome to Stream Police, the podcast where we tell you what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly on Netflix. I'm John Otney. Joining me is Michael Seventy. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing okay. Of course, this is the podcast where we take randomly selected Netflix films and review them. Last week, we reviewed Crossworlds, which turned out to be uh, as good as it sounds. I, th- I think it is a fair thing to say about it. At the end of the episode, we uh, spun the Netflix randomizer and came up with uh, three contenders for this episode's review. Those contenders were the 2005 family film 12 Dogs of Christmas, the 2012 gay drama Keep the Lights On, and the 2012 hip-hop drama Philly Brown. And our winner is... Keep the Lights On. Michael, why do you, why do you think we went with Keep the Lights On? It's the one that just seemed like it had the best reception and uh i think also we had both seen the trailer for a new movie by iris Sachs that's coming out soon so it's semi-topical i guess was that love is strange love is strange that... yeah and that looks pretty pretty interesting it's got alfred molina and john lithgow before we get into our review uh, i thought it might be fun to talk about some of the movies we've already seen this year and some of the stuff we're looking forward to in 2014 i'll start with you michael what are some of the movies you've seen this year that have uh, really stuck with you i think one of the best movies i've seen this year is uh, only lovers left alive which i think i may have talked about on this podcast at some point i'm not sure but um yeah it's the latest movie by jim jarmusch who i'm a huge fan of and uh it's very much in his kind of mold of strange people in a strange land <laughs> kind of thing but um, you know, I, the, the the briefest synopsis I can basically give is that it's two uh, vampires who have obviously been around for hundreds of years, and uh, it it follows uh, a few days in their life. Um, and I don't know. I think it just it has very interesting things to say about uh, taste and about time and i don't know there there there's so many little it's a very cool movie and like cool in the sense that it's uh it's just very interesting but it's also kind of about coolness to a certain extent which it's hard to explain i guess but um yeah it's just very intriguing and very interesting movie i get what you're saying i finally saw it just uh, about a day ago yeah and i also enjoyed it and yeah i definitely get what you're saying with the coolness (laughs) i love the performances yeah uh it's so atmospheric i mean of course the whole thing had to be at night but that just (laughs) adds so much and this the setting of detroit it doesn't even like it doesn't even look like america to me you know it's so decayed and it was so appropriate for these uh these these uh, these uh beings that have been around for so long just kind of wander around trying to find pleasure in anything and no it was it was really interesting I uh, I enjoyed that as well. All right, so this gets the Michael and John stamp of approval. The Michael and John stamp. <laughs> Got to put a stamp effect like a doom. <laughs> <laughs> we need more sound effects. That's something that this podcast is severely <laughs> lacking. Yeah, I need a greater sound effects palette. It's our whammy of the week. Wham. <laughs> Let's just record them now with our voices. <laughs> stamp. <laughs> uh, as for me... Yeah, my favorite movie uh, of the year is still actually Guardians of the Galaxy, which is weird to me because it's this mainstream uh, superhero flick, and I've been getting you know so 
exhausted and overwhelmed by those. But I think what really made that one so good was James Gunn. It had so much more humor, dark humor, and just kind of little cynical uh, jabs and jokes in it than any of those other uh, superhero movies. And there's, there's points where this, this should be like a really serious scene, and then they take it in a totally different direction. It's really fun. And I love Chris Pratt so much. I'm a big fan of him on Parks and Rec. I love the whole cast. It's very funny. It's got a great eclectic soundtrack, which I think uh, was on the top of iTunes for a while. You know, it has songs like... Uh, go all the way and come and get your love and uh, you know all these eclectic 70s pop bands yeah and that's that's still that's still my favorite uh, I mean the plot is uh, it, it makes no sense to me it's like we need to find the magical shape because someone's gonna get it to blow up stuff for no reason like it's a it's a pretty crappy plot but the characters are so good that uh, I was I was into it so what about some other films? Is there any anything else you like to throw out there that maybe you think you know people should see? Uh, yeah, sure. I think um, a, a documentary that I really liked was uh, Finding Vivian Meyer, which um, it, it's weird because I, I kind of was conflicted about uh, some of the things that the d- filmmaker did with in the movie, and like the director is on screen uh, quite a bit, and some of things he says and some of the conclusions that he uh comes to I, i'm actually not sure I, i'm on board with but it, it's basically this very uh in, interesting look at this uh reclusive photographer who, who was never a photographer uh, professionally in her life but uh years after her death her her work has uh sort of gets this cult following and this uh, great appreciation in the art community and um, I don't know, it, as I'm kind of conflicted about uh, some of the ideas, I guess, that the director has. <laughs> I, I'm, it's hard to explain if you haven't seen it, I guess. So uh, so all the more reason to see it. Uh, check out Finding Vivian Meyer because it's very interesting and uh, it's a, I, I want to be able to talk to <laughs> people about it. I, guess. I mean, I haven't even heard of it. So, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm very intrigued. Yeah. I haven't seen as many documentaries as I would have liked to this year so far. I've only seen, I think, maybe two. I saw... Uh, life itself which was which was good though i feel like it was it was fairly safe you know it wasn't like it was a fairly standard documentary just kind of about the life of roger ebert nothing too extraordinary but it was it was good it was solid but i really i absolutely loved mistaken for strangers about the uh, right. the national yeah. but more importantly about the lead singer's brother and kind of his life as a screw up and their relationship yeah, see, I haven't seen either of those, and those are, like, two that I've been wanting to see all year, but, yeah, I really want to see both of those. Mistaken for Strangers is, um, I mean, that's that's up there in my top, like, three maybe of the year so far, It's and it's short, it's only, like, 80-something minutes, but it's, it's kind of, it's really sad, <laughs> in yeah. a way, I mean, because we're basically following this person who has to spend their whole life, you know, living in someone else's shadow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not even, it's practically not even about the band, really. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that it's, it's the, the national movie, but it's, it's just about this, uh, these brothers and, and that, like, I like the national, but I think that kind of made me want to see it more is just because it's such an interesting kind of take on that kind of movie. So yeah, I really want to see that. Yeah, I loved it. Do you want to throw out a few more? Or uh, do you want to move ahead to what we're looking forward to? 
Uh, let's let's go to what we're looking forward to. Okay. Okay. Um, upcoming movies in 2014. Um, later this year, I don't even know if uh, there's a. It was already uh, released at the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, I think last week or two weeks ago, and I don't know if uh, they're planning on getting a wider distribution. Um, later this year maybe that'll even be 2015 but either way <clears throat> i'm really looking forward to ned rifle which is uh the new movie by hal hartley and it's the third movie in the uh, trilogy of films that started with uh henry fool and then faye grim a couple years later um and it's you know, brings back uh, the characters from those films and uh, also brings in Aubrey Plaza as um, a new character who's connected to those uh, characters. I mean, it's a, the plot's kind of under wraps, which I think is how Hal Hartley wants to do it. But um, yeah, I, I'm a fan of Hartley. I'm a fan of those movies. And I think that Aubrey Plaza is probably just... I don't, I don't know why I never thought of her uh, like this before, but like she's kind of perfect for Hal Hartley, I think. The way that he writes dialogue and the way that the actors he chooses kind of... They always sort of throw the dialogue aside in a way. Like, it's it's almost like... Um, it's, it's very arch dialogue, but it's delivered in a, a way that it, it's not... It doesn't call attention to itself as such, if that makes sense. And I, I think Aubrey Plaza sounds like she's probably perfect for that, so... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. You know, I've never seen a Hal Hartley movie. Oh, yeah? I don't know what's taken me so long. I guess I better start. Uh, should I just go in order? I mean, just watch Henry Fool first? or I, For this one, yeah, you can you can start there. Uh, the first one I saw was uh, Trust, and I, I think that's a great movie. And then, um, but yeah, for this, uh, the Henry Fool trilogy, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think there's an official title for it, but... Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, Henry Fool, Fagrim, and now uh, Ned Rifle. And my pick is a bit of a gamble because it's from Tim Burton, and that's Tim Burton's uh, film Big Eyes with Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz. Same writing team behind Ed Wood. It's about, oh, I'm drawing a blank on her name, the famous painter who uh, she would draw uh, portraits of children with giant eyes. Very creepy-looking children. Seems very appropriate for Tim Burton. And then, of course, there is all sorts of uh, legal issues because her husband tried to take credit for the work. And uh, it's a retelling of that story. Uh, I believe it's set um, late 50s, early 60s. And, you know, it's it's just anytime Tim Burton's doing a movie that doesn't have Helena Bonham Carter, doesn't have Johnny Depp, and isn't like an adaptation of a, a book or TV show or a movie, you know, something else or a remake... <laughs> Like I'm interested because that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, no, I uh, I totally get what you're saying. That it's like, oh, this is a Tim Burton movie, so be careful. But at the same time, it, it's definitely the most um, exciting thing I've I've heard him doing in, in quite a while. Because yeah, it's not like a the eighth dark reimagining of a fairy tale. It's not, you know, it, it's yeah, a story that kind of seems like. Uh, it would sort of match his sensibilities I think it, it, it's bizarre but, but I don't know I, I I think this is probably the most excited I've been for a Tim Burton movie since I don't know like Sweeney Todd I guess it's been a while yeah I mean they're releasing it 
in December as well. So yeah. you think that the studio has maybe confidence in it yeah. uh, for awards. Maybe the, maybe they're going to try to push for Amy Adams to uh, yeah, yeah. to take home an award. Who knows? I mean, yeah. I feel like when a studio releases something around that time, they're usually fairly confident about it. They don't usually release crap around that time just because, well, maybe this crap will get an Oscar. Yeah. That has happened. I mean, there's... <laughs> That extremely loud, incredibly close movie came out in December, and I yeah, hated that movie. God. Jeez. Well, I mean, like they're giving it a Christmas release, so I mean they have to have a certain degree of, you know, confidence at, at least in its like commercial performance, but also probably like awards. Like I think they're, you know, it, it it would seem that they have hopes for it. And I'm reading that John Polito is in it, who is awesome on the first uh, season of Homicide: Life on the Street. So I'm gonna see this movie. Absolutely. And there's there's probably a few others. We were talking before we recorded this about Foxcatcher and uh, a couple other things we're keeping an eye on. But uh, I think we'll save that for another time. And as for right now, let's dive into Keep the Lights On. Who is it? It's Jeff. Are you leaving? Yeah. No. I have a girlfriend, so don't get your hopes up. Where's he from? He's from the suburbs of Boston. He's a lawyer at Random House. And he seems to really like me. I haven't seen you this excited about anyone in a long time. Keep the lights on. I'm going to give you a little bit of the plot. I'm going to use the uh, plot synopsis from IMDb because I do my research. Uh, It's 1997, and New York City is in a state of intense flux when documentary filmmaker Eric Rothman, third Lindhart, first meets Paul Lucy, Zachary Booth, a handsome but closeted lawyer in the publishing field. What begins as a highly charged first encounter soon becomes something much more, and the relationship quickly develops. It's it's kind of loose. You know, it takes its time. It's one of those kind of character dramas that's very slow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's... uh considering like what we've covered on this podcast so far with the uh, some some of the most bizarre and convoluted pl- plots that we've seen <laughs> this is more or less like straightforward just story-wise uh, in, in that it shows a relationship beginning and then progressing and then regressing <laughs> and ending you know it's um yeah i, I, <laughs> I don't know if, if we can just uh, start from the beginning like I don't know, in, in broad strokes, like, just talk about... Actually, you know what? Let's just start from, from the beginning. Let, let's just say opening scene, it's 1998. Um, you know, after the, the credits, the, the opening titles play over uh, some folk music and a bunch of paintings, uh, you got this guy who's... Uh, I don't know... He, I believe, a Danish guy. Like, yeah, originally. I believe it's Danish. Okay. They don't. I don't know if they say, but that later in the movie, I guess he's. I, I, yeah, I'm looking it up right now, and he's Danish. Um, and he's talking on the phone, and he's saying, "Oh, it's, uh, I'm the village. I'm a top. It's six and a half. It's you know, it's obviously a, a hookup uh, that he's trying to get going." And then it shows him, you know, walking out into the city and, you know, hooking up with this dude. And it's 
it's not like a as far as a sex scene goes it's just kind of like a medium shot static they they have sex and then that's it and then at the end of it uh the guy says i have a girlfriend by the way so don't get your hopes up and then that's i think that's actually like a really in terms of establishing uh both kind of the tone of this movie and also sort of like establishing 1998 for uh, a young gay guy in New York City. I think that like, I don't know, I thought that was a good scene, a good opening scene, just this hooking up with this dude who's closeted and unfortunately because of, I don't know, just the heteronormative society, I, I guess, that, you know, to have sex, he has to go through all this phone call and go with this guy who, you know, is in the closet and has a girlfriend you know so i don't know it's i I like the opening scene a lot yeah i believe i I agree it's uh effective it's a strong way to set the tone but how do you feel right off the bat about the eric character uh the character and the performance how does how does that make you feel from what i can tell this it's iris x it it, this is semi-autobiographical yeah so i've read yeah so i mean because eric himself is a filmmaker um and i think even the next scene he's on a a radio show giving interview about his latest movie and talking about his upcoming project and i think that just from the beginning i'm kind of annoyed with him because he his attitude like when he's jogging with his uh sister i think um through the park and she's talking about oh why don't why don't you take your job at pbs and then he's like oh well you know i don't want to do the kind of work that they you know something about that like that and then uh he she mentions oh well dad paid for your last movie and you're not you know it's this whole thing about how he's spoiled and entitled and you know, and, and I get, I guess that the movies, tr- like, th- there's a, a dialogue exchange which is like, oh, you know, it, when you're up and coming and you're a mooch in your 20s, it's charming, but when you're in your 30s, it's pathetic. So, like, the movie's kind of aware of it, and I, I think the movie's kind of saying, okay, yeah, this guy's a little bit, you know, pretentious or entitled or whatever, but I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I, I, I want after that scene uh you know you feel bad for him and and you want uh him to just be okay obviously but at the same time it's just like i don't know i hopefully this isn't too stammery here but this is all just my way of saying that i kind of don't like the guy (laughs) he just i don't know but uh, what how do you feel about him well for one thing i was i was kind of confused why he was a filmmaker i mean i get iris Sachs is a filmmaker it's autobiographical and there's one point where he's making a documentary where maybe you could say the 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 subject of that documentary maybe he feels a kinship towards but you never really see him working on his films that much it doesn't really seem like it's that like films are really hard to do they're really stressful it takes up a lot of your lifeblood Yet, it's almost like it's just something he kind of does that's artsy and kind of interesting on the side. Yeah. And I thought that was a total tease. Like, don't you think it would have been a much better movie if it was about a struggling gay filmmaker and his relationship and then how those, like, head butt heads against each other? But they never really, like, come together. Like, they're they're kind of two separate. His relationship and his film career are so separate. Yeah. And it seems like he does well at his his films i don't know how yeah like i don't know how he gets the money i mean he gets the money from his parents but he's so 
he's successful enough to keep it up for so long, and you see him later winning awards. And I mean, I guess it's re- it's real romantic to make a character a um a, f- a filmmaker, but at the same time, I feel like there's so many parts of of being a filmmaker that's not romantic that we don't see that bugs me. Absolutely. And it's, it it seems like this guy, everything is so easy for him when he's picked such a difficult profession to make a living out of. Exactly. No, that that's how I feel too, is that it, it seems like when you see his apartment and how, you know, for a New York apartment for a single guy, it just seems really nice. And then he's already, he has an interview uh, in the, the first scene that you really see of him uh, as like a professional guy is, is him, you know, talking about his latest movie which is just premiered at a festival and is coming to the quad soon and like it just seems like we're supposed to take for granted we're just supposed to accept that oh he's a really good filmmaker and he's a success a successful filmmaker and he wins awards but i think i think the clo- we see him in the editing room at one point and you know he's he's angry because he's had a fight with paul but that that's kind of as much that you get i think like he's sort of a dick to one of his editors i guess and yeah i don't know i feel like that's that's an entire world of possibilities both story-wise and in terms of uh giving some depth to this character that it just isn't really explored i I mean it's tough because this uh this documentary that he's making about avery willard yeah like that sounds so interesting there's a there's a portion where he's interviewing a guy about it i'm like oh this is getting like who else is he going to interview like yeah. how is this gonna fold out but then that totally takes a back seat and it's the this relationship that's at the forefront of the movie mm-hmm. and the relationship is very like it's presented in, in, in a way with not a lot of flair or anything it's very kind of just melancholy straightforward and bland and I, I feel like that you just if, if if you focus more on his filmmaking career and, and things like that, it would have just added more things. More things would happen in the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that and that's very true. And, and I, honestly, we haven't even really gotten to the, the central relationship of the movie yet. But uh, it, it it's like a lot of movies that depict uh, a couple and. Um, and the, you know their relationship over a period of years and that you know even though that can sometimes be compelling uh focusing on just two characters and basically just those two characters interacting with each other for a whole movie i'm always gonna find it a little bit tedious honestly especially on on that kind of scale of that many of that many years that go by and with basically just these two people with occasionally another character you know popping in it's um yeah, I feel like those those other avenues were kind of needed uh, here. I mean, all the secondary characters that are given their brief moments also just more or less feel like uh, they're just helping the plot move a little bit forward. They're not really... They're pretty one-dimensional. They don't really have that much going on for them. Or I, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think of there's that one guy that the Eric character would visit off and on... Um, the, the muscular guy, you know, and they oh, yeah. have sex and stuff. And that guy just kind of felt so one note. And he, they just have him every once in a while to highlight, oh, he, he's doing bad at this portion of the movie. He didn't really feel like a character to me. I mean, maybe that's just me. I don't know. No, I mean, I get that. Like, he's kind of just like a cipher that, you know, he, he he's another... <laughs> 
I don't know, another, like, story marker is like, oh, the muscly guy's back. Or, I don't know, even later in the movie with, um, you know, when he's sitting down and, and with his friends and he has the one friend saying, oh, yeah, you should do what you can to help Paul. And the other friend saying, you know, leave Paul. You know, uh, he's a grown-up. He'll make his own decisions. That didn't that didn't feel to me like a scene of a guy talking to two of his friends for advice. That seemed to me like a guy and then two possibilities uh, of where what he can do represented by the character. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just it doesn't feel like it, you know like real people. It just feels you know like they're accessories to this character. And I don't know. It, it's it, it just gets kind of. Uh, claustrophobic almost when you're just kind of stuck with these two guys over and really well let's talk about paul a little bit let's talk about paul uh we need to talk about paul 2011 um i think uh i personally just never felt like i knew paul i never felt like i could understand why he was so in love with him i didn't i thought paul was you know entirely uh you know, I I, I like the the actor. I thought it was a good performance, and I, I thought you know in the first scene I was like, oh, who's this guy? Uh, and when they're be, you know become a couple, I'm like, oh, so where's this gonna go? But then from there, it's just like uh, Paul is, you know, he has a very stressful job, and he uh, does crack, and he he has a very painful and and difficult addiction to crack that you know obviously wreaks havoc on his relationship and uh with eric and he'll be gone for days at a time and it's really ruining their lives and then they have an intervention for him and then so you know he flies to i I don't even remember where it was but he he goes to rehab then he comes back but he relapses and and it's just throughout all that i was like i I can recognize that you know this is this very painful thing that he's going through, and this this is sad. But I don't know this guy. I can't really care too much about this. I mean, why does he even do crack? I never really understood. I mean, he's just sad, or well, I, I did they sp- specify a reason? I don't. There's no specific reason. I don't know you know where that comes in, and I I don't think you know. I, I'm okay with them not really going into a backstory like, oh, you know, here's how he got into crack. Like, if, if they just have it be, be, oh, he also has a crack addiction, then I can totally accept that. But then I would also, I would, ask, you know, ask questions like, well, you know, <laughs> where does he go? Why, you know, how does he feel? What What's going on in Paul's mind? You know, wh- why, what does Paul think about himself? What does Paul think about Eric? But sen- we only see the paul through eric's perspective which would be fine if we kind of understood what eric saw in paul and we really don't because we never really get that glimpse into his life and yeah that's a good point what does what do they see in each other yeah like i can't (laughs) i don't know describe paul without referring to his addiction or his job let's see he is a guy who's nice sometimes <laughs> for some reason but then sometimes he's really frustrated with his job i'm not yeah. really sure what he does though right you don't know what he because like i'm not really sure how he keeps his job either yeah he's got such a terrible crack addiction yeah like you don't you you never really see him at his you see eric uh filmmaking but you never see paul with his clients or anything like and it, like they mentioned that he has clients i don't know <laughs> um 
you know, I think there's an early scene uh, where they're at a restaurant and it's uh, Eric talking to his friends and they're saying, hey, where's Paul? Didn't he go get get money like 20 minutes ago? And they're like, oh, yeah, where is he? And then one of the friends offers to pay and, uh, you know, Eric gets up to go to the bathroom and then when they're all outside having paid, he he comes up and says, oh, yeah, yeah. Paul called me and he, he got food poisoning and he's really sick and he has to go home and then he comes home and it, it's a, it's a very sad scene because it's him lying to cover up for his boyfriend and having to you know make excuses for him and, and you know it shows that the his addiction is affecting their lives and stuff I thought that was really good but then after that I I just don't I, I was hoping that it would then show, you know, maybe like a scene of Paul uh, feeling uh, that mixture of guilt, but also acceptance that, the, you know, he uh, has this addiction and, and, you know, what can you do? Like, but from there, it just kind of moves forward with Eric and how Eric feels. Like, I don't know. It's a it's a couple. It's two people in a relationship. Why do we never see Paul uh by himself really you know i don't know i mean yeah we gotta have those details i mean how are we supposed to care about the relationship if we just don't know the other person in the relationship they're just some i mean he's basically like one of the other secondary characters that just kind of advances what little plot there is yeah yeah and he for the most part i feel like he was kind of a jerk too (laughs) yeah yeah i mean mean, he's nice sometimes like i got you a painting (laughs) but i don't know (laughs) Yeah. Most of the time, I just feel like he's really snappy. Like, I'm so stressed stressed out at my job that no one knows about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stressed out at my job because I don't know what I do. I'm so I mean, when underwritten. I read that, when I read that plot synopsis, like, a closeted lawyer at a pub, in the publishing field, I was like, really? Like, I, don't even, I know he's a lawyer, <laughs> yeah. and he's got work to do that I never see him doing. Yeah, I missed that. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I would have believed uh, if you had just said, oh, he's an architect. I'd have been like, yeah, all right. I, I see no evidence against it. Um, yeah, and you know, one of the things, the awful things about addiction is that it can, uh, the nicest person in the world will, you know, that, that, that'll still affect them and they'll, that'll still affect how they treat people. And, you know, it's like you're seeing somebody, uh, change completely in some ways. And I, and I, I, you know, I think that would be sad to see him, you know, oh man, Paul's being such a, an asshole right now to, Eric, but then you never really see who Paul is as a person, so you can't feel sad about Paul, you know, how Paul's treating Eric, because for all you know, this is just who Paul is. Maybe Paul was just a dick <laughs> regardless, without, you know, at, and it's, we're, we're uh, kind of harping on this, I guess, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's, there's only so much, this movie is about this relationship. I think it's kind of a huge flaw that you don't know why the relationship really exists. Um, and it goes on for so long. I mean, it's from it spans like I think something like 1998 to 2006 or, or something like that, or, or pretty long, pretty maybe long longer time, than yeah. that. Yeah. Because I feel like at one point they say they've been together for nine years. How did you feel about the progression of time in this film? Like how it was presented? Well, I, I think the I I guess it it for me it it could have this movie could have taken place in one year or two years and it wouldn't have felt different to me like i i I feel like it's a failure on the movie's part that 
I didn't really feel that uh, stretch of time that, you know, he starts out with the idea for this movie and then he makes the movie and then he wins an award for it. And then he starts out uh, being lonely. Then he has this relationship. The relationship goes bad. It ends. I don't, I understand that it's, you know, semi-autobiographical and this is probably how it happened for Ira Sachs in that amount of time. But for me, it, it just doesn't come across. Like, the, I, I feel like it, it just says, oh, yeah, it's been a few months since he's been at rehab. And then he, he, you know, goes to the club to look for guys. And, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really working on editing this movie. And then, oh, yeah, things are going <laughs> really bad for us. Uh, I feel like the movie would wouldn't have been any weak. It would have been stronger, <laughs> frankly, if uh, that had all you know either been condensed or been developed in such a way that the you know time going on like you actually felt time march on i don't know that's just how i felt yeah i mean i guess the reason that was in there is just to show you know these two people are in love but even though they they go through so many so much terrible stuff for so long they like they still try to find ways to stay together over so many years and, and so much hardship but that was that was tough for me to take in because i mean i couldn't even tell that time had passed yeah i mean they yeah. look exactly the same the whole way through yeah it, it just every once in a while someone would be like oh that was four years ago i'm like that was four years ago that was two scenes ago <laughs> yeah what the hell happened yeah and at first they did 1998 1999 on screen but then they stopped doing that for long stretches of time did they or did i just miss them they no, they didn't. They didn't. It just ever it casually come up, and it'd be completely jarring. Yeah, it was inconsistent. You know what they should have done? They should have got the the rights to a bunch of songs. So they could have like, hit songs. <laughs> the boy you know, hit. <laughs> with the, you know what is love? The Hathaway. And then... <laughs> the biggest hit of 1998. <laughs> so the, from the 90s. Yeah. See, that's smart. Or show or show calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Calendar pages <laughs> just flipping by and just like <laughs> on. Yeah. I mean, I get that they're, yeah, they're trying to be subtle about that and, you know, show like, oh, time just goes so fast, you know, and some, you know, some things never change, but it's just confusing for me as a viewer, you know, uh, to take in. I, I, yeah. I don't know. And I also kind of felt like, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, how long he was on, you know, how they, how they look pretty much the same throughout all this, I don't ever feel like I saw Paul really affected physically by crack use uh i feel like at one point he had a bruise on his face but then i couldn't remember if he had that the whole movie <laughs> which maybe says it all right there i don't know. yeah i don't know and he said at one point like i'm crack skinny and i'm just you look exactly the, the same you look yeah exactly the same for the whole movie yeah no i, I felt the same way how do you feel about the performances? I mean, I think you mentioned that Paul you uh, thought was fine, right? Yeah, I actually, uh, I believe he's his name is Zachary Booth, the actor. Um, and I, I don't know, I I thought that he didn't have a lot to work with, and you know, given how underwritten his uh, character was, I actually I thought he did a good job, and there there were several moments where uh, you know. Like the scene where uh, he he has his intervention, uh, just the way that he kind of sits there silently stewing while he's uh, hearing 
uh, Eric read this letter aloud with everybody there, and he d- drinks the water. I, like, I don't know. I, I felt... That felt like a very, um, I don't know, smart choice just to be that still. And then the way that he takes that uh, drink of water, I actually just thought like, oh, this is Zachary Booth guy. That, that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, so I don't know. I, I liked his performance. And what about Third Lindhart? Uh, that's, a, that's a hard one just because I feel like there are, there were at times where I felt like, oh man, he, he's kind of overselling, like there... Do you remember the scene where um, they have that fight because he talks to this guy on the street and then, uh, you know, he goes to sleep on the couch and then he, he throws like this whole fit and then they go, you know, he, he gets him to go back into bed with him and then they're laughing about it. During the part where he's like hitting himself on the head, I was thinking like, okay, I think he's he's being like a little over the top here. He, he's kind of being hammy. But then I thought about it and I was... It could just be like with that's written in the script or the way that it's directed, like it, maybe it just seems out of place. I, I didn't know how much blame I guess to give the actor versus the character because I'm just not crazy about the character. So I, I don't know. I definitely felt it was inconsistent, and yeah. yeah, that could be in part to the writing. I mean, there's scenes where I feel like he's hitting the right notes. It's subtle. It's it's good. It's real. But then there's other scenes where it's just melodramatic soap opera. But yeah, like you were saying, maybe that's how it was written, you know, maybe uh, it, it just came off that way on paper and it was hard, you know, it, to, uh, to to make that anything else but what it was. Uh, so uh, so I don't know, but I, I wasn't crazy about, about his performance. I, I definitely think Zachary Booth is uh, superior in his role. And that's tough because he's good, but he plays a character that we know so little about, whereas we know a lot about eric but he's you know not always that fun to watch or that interesting to watch yeah it would be if we got to focus on his filmmaking but we don't <laughs> right See, which especially because iris x you know obviously is a filmmaker i i really would have kind of liked to have seen uh that, that i don't know that whole world explored a little bit more and especially the ways that the parallels could have been drawn you know between his experience with uh making that movie and his experience in that relationship. I, I feel like that that's a missed opportunity. Um, I mean, also because I've heard stories about struggling filmmakers, but I don't really know the, uh, what it's like to be a gay filmmaker and how the challenges that they, you know, that someone like that might have to face. Yeah. Like that sounds like an interesting story. Yeah, totally. Yet we never see like the Eric character have str- any struggles with that. It, it's not, it doesn't matter when I, I feel like there probably are struggles for a gay filmmaker Yeah, and, uh, to make their mark. And I feel like I, you know, this 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 is like a you know a perfect chance i think to to I don't know, to introduce that story and it's not something like you said it's not something that we really know about cuz um at, or the general public doesn't really know about just because there are so few uh gay films being made so many few uh so few uh gay filmmakers that get a chance to get a movie distributed that to see a character in a movie who's a gay filmmaker like that's you know, huge opportunity. I mean, if I was to sit down and watch this, and then someone told me right after it that, oh, that that's supposed to be basically the 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 story, the filmmaker, that's his own story. I would think, wow, he didn't really do much for like nine years. <laughs> he just kind of hung around, and his parents gave him money, maybe. Uh, yeah. No, and that that's another thing is that because this is kind of, uh, you know, 
autobiographical to an extent. Like, I, I guess this kind of is, is related to something that actually happened to Iris X. I, I feel like maybe it, he's just still kind, kind of a, an open wound, <laughs> maybe, about it. And I don't know, maybe... I, I'm just speculating here, but it, it's possible that... Uh, because he's writing about real people or people that are you know that have real life counterparts maybe he was just hesitant uh making like uh he he didn't want to be that guy that uh goes and and makes a movie about somebody and as if he knows them and as if he knows what they were thinking because maybe that would have just been uh i don't know petulant <laughs> like like a, a but i mean i'm, I'm just speculating here I, I don't know but i mean that would make sense he's trying to do this personal story yeah. and he's holding back on so many other details yeah it, and you feel like if he just went down and, and 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 told everything like it was yeah yeah it'd be a little more interesting maybe that would be hard for him to do mm. emotionally but i i think it would have made the experience more satisfying yeah, I think so too, and I think I don't know as as interesting as their ideas that are brought up in the movie. Just the idea of oh, this gay filmmaker making this this documentary that sounds fascinating, and, and you know all these things. And I, I'm sure that in real life, all these events were just huge and and sad and tragic and and life altering. It really just comes down to how it's you know portrayed on film and, and what's there you know in the movie and on that level it just falls flat dramatically i don't know it doesn't work as drama so at the end of the day i think this film is in- incredibly admirable i think there's there's a lot of uh interesting things that iris Axe is trying to say about the struggles uh, of like uh, of a gay man over over the years and uh but I just in the in the package it's in, in in this film it's just it's it's too long for me, it's too dry, and I feel like I'm not getting the full story, so I don't think I don't think I'd recommend it, um, personally. What about you, Michael? Yeah, I I can't recommend it. I can uh, commend it, <laughs> I, I guess for um. Uh, for for a number of things, again, I I do think that there are some good performances. I think uh, I like the cinematography a lot. Some of the lighting is actually just really beautiful in this movie, and you know, um, and again, yeah, it, I it is good to see a gay filmmaker making a movie about a gay filmmaker. Uh, in you know, I I feel like they're there's something to be said for that but just as a film and as a narrative i i can't say that it, it was worth it for me let's move on to a segment called john and michael recommend okay for my recommendation this week i'm going with a film that i saw on amazon instant uh I believe that counts as a streaming service. You do have to pay, though, uh, depending on what you're renting. But I rented Frank with Michael Fassbender, which was a film that I'd, I'd heard about but didn't really know the specifics of the, uh, the the story. And this is a film where Michael Fassbender wears a giant 
head and is the frontman of a very eclectic uh, rock band. And they become involved with a uh, an aspiring songwriter, this keyboardist played by Dom Hall Gleason, who uh, has dreams of being a rock star. And, and he joins this group and goes to record uh, with them in a cabin, but then quickly finds out that these people are all have serious mental issues and uh, are very sheltered. And he's and he's uh, chronicling it, and he's putting like videos of them on YouTube, and he's giving them a fan base. But Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's another member of the band, I believe she plays the theremin, uh, is saying, "No, we don't want any part of that. This isn't this isn't going to be good for Frank's health. He can't handle this uh, notoriety." And uh, eventually. Dom Hall Gleason gets them a gig at South by Southwest, so they travel to Texas, and I won't spoil anything, but hilarity and tragedy ensues. I'm getting some distortion. I'm getting a lot today. Ah. Almost done. But the reason to check out Frank, I, I think for the most part, uh, is the performances. Michael Fassbender, you really don't see his face, yet he's he's fantastic. Uh, his his singing is is interesting. Just the character is is such an upbeat, optimistic, uh, over the top character that I, I really enjoyed. And I hear it was based off a uh, a real a real singer who back in the late seventies, eighties, I believe he was in a uh, Chris Sivey. He was in a band called The Freshies. He did a lot of other side proje projects. He was a comedian that would wear this big plastic head and uh, and sing songs. And uh, it's 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 based off of um, the the writer of the film, the co-writer of the film, uh, John Ronson, who's written some other books. I, I believe he wrote Men Who Stare at Goats. It's based on his experiences with Chris Ivey, and they put it together in this really interesting film. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend that. We're seeing. Yeah, you know, I, I've seen the trailer for that. Uh, still haven't seen it. Uh, it's it's playing in, in my town, so I'm sure I'll catch up with it at some point. Uh, that that's interesting about like what's what's the name of the real life band? The Freshies. I believe the real uh, the character is Frank si Sidebottom. So you can look up Frank Sidebottom and read all about his story. Okay. Yeah, that's huh. <laughs> I, I I'm always into weird <laughs> frontmen and bizarre music i say okay cool yeah I'll check that out for a netflix recommendation for something or uh not netflix recommendation sorry for a streaming recommendation um hulu plus uh currently has the uh john houston movie wise blood which if you uh don't know is based on a book by flannery o'connor and uh as much as i want to be able to uh describe it and just give a synopsis i i don't think i can really do it justice just because it's such a bizarre story uh, basically, uh, the IMDb synopsis is uh, a southerner, young, poor, ambitious, but uneducated, determined, uh, determined to become something in this world, uh, decides that the best way to do that is to become a preacher and start up his own church. So already, be, if you know John Houston and you know Flannery O'Connor, you kind of get a sense of what that could look like. But it, it's really darkly funny. Like it, To me, this is like the definition of dark comedy. And I don't know. It, it, it's something that 
at times it, there are are hilarious scenes that are shot at, almost as if they're like a horror movie and then there are scenes that are really kind of get under my skin and and i don't know disturb me that are just played <laughs> kind of comedically and i don't know i it, it was it was bizarre and fascinating and uh i don't know as soon as i saw it i i couldn't think of anything else for, for like a week um and there's some great great performances uh if you are like all right thinking people a fan of the child's play series uh the, oh, yeah. the, the voice of uh, chucky brad dorif uh is the main john guy. houston <laughs> exactly <laughs> john houston the voice of chucky <laughs> directed this movie and uh harry dean stanton who uh one of the great actors in my opinion uh he has a very good performance uh ned Beatty has uh ned Beatty uh, rather has a very memorable small role in it um so yeah wise blood hulu plus on the criterion collection uh category yeah i i think i've seen some screenshots from it i, I really just heard about this movie i feel like it was this year and i was like wow john houston did a movie with brad dorif <laughs> like really like that's just that sounds so interesting yeah and and the way you talked about it, i'm i'm very excited i, I want to check this out soon yeah. uh now we're going to move on to a segment we call the Netflix Randomizer, where we take an app called the Netflix Randomizer, and it shuffles through all the various titles on Netflix. We're not going to set um, any parameters or anything. We're just going to go at it. Uh, really, the only rules are we don't do TV. We try to avoid uh, extended comedy specials and documentaries uh you know nothing against documentaries all of documentaries but they're not usually as fun to talk about or as interesting i think that's because they tend to speak for themselves uh so uh you know without further ado let's let's give it a whirl are you ready with the randomizer michael yep all right so let's go with our first click all right wait for my computer this will take several hours i'm sure <laughs> so I, I have so many times okay <clears throat> number one is the touch from 2002 um looks like an action movie uh, looks like asian cinema it's pretty sweet to me. A pair of siblings, the only remaining descendants of a family of circus acrobats, search for a stolen mystical artifact that their ancestors had protected over generations. The missing object is as valuable as it is portentous and deadly. All right. Okay. Michelle Yeoh. Dane Cook. Dane Cook? What? What did you say? Dane Cook is in this? Did you say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said that. Who else would have said it? <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently Dane Cook oh is in this. God. You know what I love? I'm on the Wikipedia for this. It says the film was generally panned by critics for its cliched storyline and primitive visual effects. I love that Pr- word, primitive. Primitive. This is a Hong Kong action movie that has Dane Cook in it inexplicably. And it has primitive special effects, which I assume is like Flintstones. Like they had like birds on set that would do the special effects and be like, "It's a living." That's amazing. Oh man, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see what else we we get. Why don't you get right. the uh, the randomizer another click? 
All right, click number two. <clears throat> it's a TV show, so never mind. Click number three. It's another. Let me just set it off TV shows. I don't even know. Why. <laughs> all right, if now all movies. Um, okay. <clears throat> Happy birthday, two thousand two. In this film festival favorite, two lesbians and three gay men, all born on the same day, struggle with sexuality as each individual yearns for an open, honest, and fulfilling life in an often tough and judgmental world. Directed by Yen Tan. Um, Netflix rating is 2.1 out of 5. IMDb rating is 6 out of 10. Hmm. Hmm. I see it's 70 minutes. Is that right? Uh, it says 95 on the oh. randomizer. Oh, then I don't know who to believe. Where, Wikipedia, where how could you do this to me? Wikipedia is lying? Has it ever done that? I'm, I'm sure it's lying about the touch, too. I'm sure it doesn't have primitive effects. <laughs> That's great effects. That yeah, says 95 on IMDb, so I'm going to go with 95. All right. Well, are you looking at... Uh, hold on. Let me, are you looking at 2002 or... Yeah, 2002. 70. Wow, weird. Who knows? It's somewhere between 70 and 95 minutes long. <laughs> Rough estimate. That yeah, I don't know about that one. I'm not too excited by the ratings being kind of in the middle. but uh, Yeah. I'm yeah. sure the touch kind of sat around the same spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that one wasn't a film festival favorite. So oh, it wasn't. No. claims to be. So. Okay. All right. Let's, um, give it, let's give it another. <laughs> All right. One more quick. Three. Oh, boy. <laughs> This one has an amazing poster already. Um, the Prophecy 3, The Ascent, which is from 2000. Uh, Periel, the evil angel of genocide, has risen to power is, and is on a mission to destroy all of humankind. The only one who can stop him is the half-human, half-angel Daniel, Daniel uh, who seeks help from fallen angel Gabriel. It stars Christopher Walken, Brad Dorif, uh, and a bunch of other people. Um... 3.4 on Netflix and a 5.6 on IMDb. And Christopher Walken looking very scary on the cover. I've seen The Prophecy 1. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I I, I recall liking it yeah, as yeah? a kid. You know, it's about a fallen angel. It had Elias Codius. It was it was fun. Oh, I love Elias Codius. But, He's not in this one, though. <laughs> the Prophecy 3? Yeah. That would be interesting. I, I, just skipping the second <laughs> one entirely. <laughs> no, we got to get to the third one. That's when you get really good. I, I, and I love that. But I've heard of the prophecy, but the prophecy three? <laughs> this I got to see. Uh, why couldn't it have been yeah. the prophecy one? <laughs> Which has Elias Codius, Virginia Madsen, Eric Stoltz, Amanda Plummer, Viggo Mortensen, Adam Goldberg. What's prophecy three have? It's just got Brad Dorff and Christopher Walken picking up paychecks. That's all I need in any movie. It is kind of interesting that, you know, when we do these randomizer picks, we don't often get picks that have, like, celebrities, like stars, like big stars, like Christopher Walken. So that's appealing. I don't know about – I don't know if anything else about it's appealing. I'm just afraid I'm going to be so confused. <laughs> I haven't seen either of the first two. <laughs> I mean, so I haven't I... seen it in such a long time. I think last time I saw The Prophecy was Halloween of 2004. Wow, that's ten so it, years. It's been a while. I like, and apparently there's four of these, huh? Oh my gosh, I, I I feel like I'd have to watch all of them. 
in order to to appreciate the prophecy three. So we need to have a prophecy trilogy. We need to watch all three prophecies and then review yeah. that. Oh man. Well, I, th- that's another question though. Let's see if uh, the other prophecies are on uh, Netflix. Which yeah, it appears they are. It looks like all four of them are on Netflix. Oh so my. that's doable. Well, is Christopher Walken in the fourth one? Uh, let's see. Is Christopher Walken in The Prophecy Uprising? Or no. Uh, yeah, okay. I don't think so. Uh, no, it does not have uh, Christopher Walken in it. And no, we, apparently... we only watched the original trilogy. <laughs> the original. But, okay, apparently there's five of them, and the, the, the fourth and fifth were filmed at the same time. The fifth one also doesn't have Christopher Walken, which makes sense. But how fucking funny would it be if Christopher Walken sat out the fourth one, but it was like, eh, fifth one, I'll come around. <laughs> I swear every time you Google search, another one just exists. <laughs> you're going to search it again. Like, oh, wait, there's a Prophecy 6. Oh, my God. Turns out that there's already a Prophecy 9, and they haven't even made 8 yet. <laughs> they're they're just coming out with a Brad Dorif played Christopher Walken's character. <laughs> Oh man, a prophecy marathon, uh, a marathon of a series that no one cares about. That God. would be interesting. Yeah, I just I can't I can't believe we didn't say everything we had to say with the first prophecy. <laughs> there's a there's a saga here. There's a franchise, I guess. Wow. Well, I guess we'll just have to get back to you, uh, <laughs> to you on that and see what. Who knows what we've got planned? It'll uh, probably be happening. Got some interesting things in play. Yeah. Uh, we learned a lot today. Most importantly, <laughs> that there are five prophecy movies. <laughs> um, but if you like what you heard, you know, check us out on iTunes. You can check us out on mildlypleased.com. Uh, you can check out our Tumblr. Just Google us. I'm sure we'll show up somewhere. Uh, <laughs> thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in about a week or so. See, see you guys. Bye. Bye.